Välkommen till Jesus Fällskapets podcast. Vi hoppas budskap i dag vill välsigna dig i din vandring med Gud. Och om du vill ha mer information om menigheten kan du gå in på jesusfällskapet.no. Thanks. It's good to be here in Bergen where the sun shines every day. <laughs> Shined every day I've been here. <laughs> first guy who preached must be really smart. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. <laughs> yeah, my Norwegian isn't very good. I was driving over here and trying to interpret the road signs to Peter, and he wasn't impressed with my... <laughs> yeah. So what I wanted to talk about this morning is about what is my life message um the first time the first year i was at bethel they asked me to speak to a group of students and afterward all the students were like oh would you impart something to us and i wasn't quite sure what they were talking about and so the leader explained it to me and i still didn't know what to do and finally i said to the students well my life message is about meeting god and suffering do you want me to impart that to you <laughs> <laughs> they weren't quite so sure for a minute. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, suffering and difficulty is part of life, and it's also part of the goodness of God. So I want to talk this morning from Romans 8, if you want to turn to that in your phones. <laughs> so it's a little weird. <laughs> oh... Um, I'm going to ask you to, to think of a, a really painful situation in your life. Just for a little bit of context, I'll tell you about my year. Um, I don't know if you heard of the fires in California that we had last fall. Um, do I need to do something to keep it from echoing so much? Okay, maybe that's just me. Anyway, our house burned down in one of those fires about a year ago. So I had just gotten home from a trip and woke up in the morning and had to evacuate. So we still hadn't unpacked our suitcases. So we, we saved a suitcase of dirty clothes each <laughs> and the pets and the computers. And I was Mr. Practical. I didn't take a single memento or photo or anything from the house. Because when you're in the middle of it, you're just not quite, you know, you think you're going to be back there in a few days. Um, and then a week later, we found out that the house was completely gone. Um, on the one-year anniversary of that uh, fire, I was attending my best friend's funeral across the country. On the road there, my mother-in-law died. <laughs> so then I flew from I flew from California to D.C. for the funeral, and then flew back to Oklahoma for the other one, and then flew home. Um, and in the middle of of that year, we had big crises with both of our kids. Um, so it was a very painful year. Um, it's interesting, a couple weeks before the fire, one day I was just talking to Jesus, and I don't know where I, I got to this, but I remember saying, um, this was earlier in July, 
Do you want me to hold it closer? I can... I'm God. <laughs> anyway, a couple weeks before the fire, I remember one day in my devotion saying to Jesus, so Jesus, could I really live without all this stuff? <laughs> and about a week after the fire, I had an answer. It was, yeah, it, my heart wasn't attached to that. Um, you know, there's plenty to grieve when you lose everything physical that you own. But, um, yeah, one of the, the things that God does for us in difficult times is he helps us. It's so easy for our hearts to get attached to stuff in this world. Um, it can get attached to houses, or it can get attached to people, or it can get attached to outcomes. You know, if I work really hard, I can get into this school, or I can do this great thing. And the problem you have is when your heart gets attached to stuff in this world, your heart was made to get its most basic needs met inside your relationship with Jesus. And so when you attach your heart to something else, it always ends up disappointing you in the end. So one of the things that God does is he allows the seasons of life to go up and down and in those seasons that are the valleys or the painful times, often the good thing that he's doing for us is helping separate our hearts from the stuff in the world we think is going to make us happy and help us reattach our heart to him. Because um, one of the, um, how do I say? We all have a set of desires that are deep in our heart that drive our behavior. So they're for stuff like love or approval or recognition or significance. You know, I'm going to do something um, and change the world with my life. Those are all desires. And your desires are designed to be filled inside your relationship with God. And there's this law of twisted desire that when you take the desire that was meant for God and attach it to somebody else it actually works against you to keep you from getting the thing you really want. So for instance, um, let's see. Have you ever had the person in, in your small group that's just desperate for approval and belonging? They just want so bad to be part of everything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> how do you experience that person? <laughs> um, I, I was in a small group one time, and, and somebody described that as a life-sucking vampire. Um, <laughs> but when we have a really deep need, um, what we tend to do is want to take that from other people. And then what happens is it turns other people off, and it actually repels them. So I see this a lot with um, another good example is people who are young that want to get married. Oh God, send me the soulmate that you have for me, Lord. I just pray for the right man or the right woman. Just send me this person, God, because when I have them, then they'll give me all the love and the belonging that I need, and I won't need you, Jesus. So send me the person that can be a substitute for you. God, I want this idol in my life. <laughs> and again, it's not that we're bad, but but what's happening is there's a picture of married life that we've attached a desire to. 
and we think it's going to fill us. Um, gals, what happens to the guys when you attach that kind of expectation to them? <laughs> yes? <laughs> Do you want to describe that? <laughs> yeah. And it works in the other direction, too. So, so Jesus... When your desire gets attached to something, that attachment can be really strong. And it's really hard to get out of it. So, let's see, how should I say this? Um, if somebody really needs to change, what's the best motivator to get them to change? When you see people make drastic change, what caused that? Crisis. Give me some other words. Pain. Pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pain makes it much easier to change. So God doesn't bring pain into your life because all good things come from God. But God is so good at taking what's painful and using it for your good that when it's all over, it looks like he arranged it all from the beginning. So God is not the causer of pain in your life, but God will take the pain that's part of this world and use it to help you unhitch your life from the world and connect it back to Him. So one of the things I do a lot of in ministry is just helping people understand, oh, here's the place my heart is connected to something in this world, a person or a thing or an outcome, and then... In the goodness of God, you don't say, now surrender that thing. You need to give that up. Don't want stuff. <laughs> That's the old Christian way, um, which is sort of dumb. Um, what we would tell people is, don't want anything. Empty yourself. But when your heart is empty, <laughs> it's even more motivated to go out and find something to attach itself to. So it doesn't work. So what I learned to do is say, okay, now before I ask you to let go of this thing, let's go to Jesus and give you a taste of what the real thing is like. Because when you get the real stuff, you're going to want that. <laughs> and you're going to want this other thing less. And that's the biblical way of change. Change is not meant to be something where you grit your teeth and you work really hard. <laughs> Um, change is meant to be something where you touch the heart of God in a way that so fills you that the other thing is just like, yeah, <laughs> so all my stuff burned up. Big whoop. Um, I mean, it was traumatic. I was the first week, I remember going in to fill out this application for a, a rental home, and I was a math major in college, so I'm really good with numbers. And I was sitting there filling out the application, and I couldn't remember our zip code. <laughs> and I, I couldn't add these two numbers together, and I was like, okay, my brain isn't working right here. <laughs> I'm traumatized by this. Um, I remember that Sunday, Bill Johnson got up, and twice in one message, he repeated the same story over and over again, because he was over in Europe and thought his house was burned. And it was just kind of funny watching him, and he was laughing at himself because his brain wasn't quite working right. 
So, so they're real difficult things in life, but God has a good purpose for you in it. And in fact, he will make some of the best things that you ever get out of the worst things that you go through. So, yeah, earlier in life, we moved across the country to be part of this guy's ministry, and I was going to travel around with him and do church oversight and all this stuff. And a couple months after we moved there, he came and asked me for a loan, and he managed to allude to the scripture about not withholding from your brother when they're in need. So I loaned him, let's see, it would be about 600000 kroners. <laughs> and it took five years to get it back, and it destroyed our relationship. Um, and we were living, our front doors were like from me to Peter apart. We were living in the same building, and he didn't speak to me for the last six months that we lived there. <laughs> it was really awkward. Um, but, you know, out of that, I saw a counselor for about a year to sort of work through all this. And when we finally got to the bottom of it, I had this belief that if the relationship is broken, there's something wrong with me. That, that to have a relationship that ends is a personal failure. And so I would stay in these situations that were abusive or just unhealthy because of my belief. And when I finally let that go and let God have it, I changed so radically. <laughs> we had one of the worst times in our marriage ever because I wasn't fixing all the conflicts anymore. <laughs> we had to renegotiate some stuff. Um, but I couldn't do what I do today without having met God in that experience. Because the other thing, the other big belief I got out of that was I realized I believed that my destiny was dependent on the favor of the leaders over me. And if I didn't have their favor and their influence, that I would never be able to do, you know, what I was called to do in life. And so out of that came this conviction. <laughs> the way I state the principle is there is no man that can stand between you and your destiny. Your destiny is a function of you and God alone, and no one else can stop you. And when you, when you go something through something like that and you grasp it, it has a power inside of you that... Um, this, this is part of the fun of what God does with difficult stuff, is once you've been through it, you start attracting everybody who needs to go through that thing. <laughs> Because you have something incarnated in you that's there because of the way you met God. Yeah. And, and you have something to give. And those people come to you and you find those people. Um, there was a while where I think everybody that got fired from Bethel, I ended up coaching. Um, <laughs> but I have an attraction to leaders who have been through difficult seasons and they find me because of that thing in my life. And, and going through that experience has given me the courage. Before, it was really hard for me to speak, to, to challenge a leader, because if the relationship breaks, something's wrong with me. 
But that, going through that experience and meeting Jesus in it gave me courage that I work with a lot of high-powered people to get in their face and <laughs> say what they need to hear, which is not always my natural thing. So, so let me go back for a minute. When do you want me to be done? Okay. He asked me, I asked him at the start, when do you want me to finish? And he says 4.15. And I'm watching the other guy up here and I'm thinking, this is going to be the shortest sermon ever. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Couldn't figure out what you guys were doing. <laughs> So, so come back for a minute. Think of one of your most difficult moments in life and put yourself back into it as the thing happens. Feel it a little bit. Um, and what I want to hear from you when you're there are just some examples of what are the questions that you, you ask God in that difficult moment. When you're in the worst moments of your life, what do you ask God? Why? Why? Where are you? What did I do wrong? There's a good one. What should I do? What are some other variations of why? Why me? What were you saying? Oh, can I, can I not trust what you said? I thought you told me to do this, and it blew up in my face. <laughs> Anything else? Okay, so I want to talk about a few of those questions, um, and let's start with why. Why is, why is a big one. So when you're in your most painful moment, and you're crying out, God, why did this happen? And somebody gives you an answer to the question, why? Do you like it? <laughs> no. What are, what are some epic, um, oh, what do you call them? Uh, those little hackneyed phrases that we say to people that, that everyone hates. Um, it will all work out for good. What are some other lines you hate at that moment? God's trying, to teach you God's trying to teach you something. God's teaching you patience, brother. <laughs> and patience sucks. No. <laughs> you should just do this. Yes. What, what does it say when a person's, what does it say to you when you're in pain and the person says you should just. What, what's the message behind that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what are you angry at? Okay. You don't feel understood. Mm. Yeah. When, when you do that, it's sort of like saying, hey, you're really stupid. Um, if you knew better, you wouldn't have done this. And that's just so helpful when you're in pain. 
people in pain generally don't want your advice. <laughs> I, I used to, in coach training, when I'm training people not to give advice, I often sing this song. Do you, do you know the sound of music? You need someone older and wiser telling you what to do. Shut up! <laughs> so in your painful moment, the questions you're asking is why, but you don't like the answer. Why is that? And there's a great clue in what you said, I don't feel heard. What, what do you really want when you're in pain? Be to be understood. What? You want an answer? What were you saying back there? Be heard. When you're a little kid and you, and you cut your knee, what do you want? Yeah, you want comfort. You want to be held. So here's an interesting thing about God. When, when you're in a painful moment and you're crying out why, God usually doesn't answer the question why. How, how many of you have experienced that? Yeah. Um, why is not God's favorite question? Um, there's a couple reasons for that <laughs> um, that are for your good. Um, one of them is you don't really want an answer at that point. See, the way our hearts work is we think... If I know why, then I can keep this from happening again. In other words, I want to be protected. If I know why, then I'll understand and it won't feel so bad. I'll be comforted. So what we really want when we ask why is we want to be comforted. We want to be heard. We want someone to be there with us. So what Jesus does when you're in pain is he doesn't tell you why because that's not what you really want. <laughs> What he'll do is say, I'm here. Trust me. Um, because the, the human instinct, the original sin of the human race, if you go back to Adam and Eve, they chose the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life because they were idiots. Um, <laughs> um, they, they had a relationship with God where he was filling all their desires and they got to walk and talk in the garden with him and they were naked and didn't have any shame in their life. I don't think that just means they didn't have clothes on. I think it meant they knew that they were fully known and it didn't bug them um, because they were full inside. They were full of approval. They were full of acceptance. They were full of love. So they didn't, they didn't have any shame. Um, so what happened in the Genesis story is man is in this wonderful relationship where all their needs are met by God, but they don't control it. <laughs> God fills them. So humanity said, oh, the, well, the snake comes along and says, here's a shortcut. Um, you can be in control of this process by knowing, and you can become like God, which was the goal, <laughs> and you get to control the process. So the original sin of the human race was to substitute knowing for trusting. So when we're in pain, that's often where that's, that temptation, that, that thing comes to the surface of, I want to know, I want to know why, so I can control my future. And God won't give you that control because it won't help you. 
Remember that law of twisted desire where it works against you? <laughs> it, that works in your pain, too. So in the mercy of God, he won't tell you why, but he'll say, I'm here. <laughs> Let me hold you. <laughs> um, I feel it, too. Um, I'm so sorry. We're going to do, can I take five minutes and do a little... I want to do an exercise with you that I often use for people in pain. I call it the fellowship of sufferings. And when, when you meet somebody new for the first time, what kind of questions do you ask them? What's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? Are you married? What are you searching for? You want to know about them, but... But we tend to ask a bunch of those little questions until we hit common ground. Common ground. Yes. So when, when you finally find that common ground, then you can have fellowship because you have something in common. So the fellowship of sufferings is when you've suffered, you can know a part of Jesus that people who haven't suffered can never know. And Jesus' life was defined by suffering. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And there's a deep part of his heart that's accessible to you in your most difficult moments. Um, sorry, I should have brought some Kleenex. Um, so a powerful thing to do in those moments is you, you take your situation where you suffered. So think of that situation again that you had in your mind earlier. And then what we do is say, okay, where did Jesus suffer something like that? So you've been betrayed by a friend. Okay, Jesus and Judas. Um, did you lose a parent when you were young? Jesus and Joseph. Joseph sort of disappears in there somewhere, and most people think he died. Um, people say bad things about you that you don't deserve. <laughs> Jesus got plenty of that. So think of a place in the Bible where Jesus suffered something similar to you. And then comes the fun part is you just have a conversation. But you get to ask all different questions than probably what you're used to. You say to him, Jesus, man, this betrayal thing really stinks. <laughs> what did it feel like for you when Judas came up and kissed you? I mean, that, that was really terrible. <laughs> um, or you say, yeah, Jesus, how did you handle it when people were saying all that stuff about you and it wasn't true? Or how do you handle it when you knew Judas was stealing from the till and you didn't say a word? How come? I want to go out and wring their necks, you know? <laughs> but you have a conversation with Jesus just person to person about your shared experience. So I want to invite you to take a couple minutes here and get your experience with Jesus and your own experience and just start asking him about it. Jesus, how did you feel? How did you cope? Here's how I felt. Did you feel that way? And let's see what he says to us. So just go ahead and do that on your own for a minute.
So that was short, but hopefully you heard something interesting. You can continue the conversation at home. Let's do one last thing. Um, grab a person next to you and share one thing that you heard from Jesus. And what we're going to do is our biggest problem in Western countries is God is speaking to us all the time. We just don't believe that what we're hearing, we're, we're actually hearing it. The thoughts are coming into our mind, but we don't believe it's him. So what we're going to do is be bold. And just if you think something might be Jesus, or if you thought something and it was really interesting, go ahead and share it. Um, but let's pick a person and share one thing that you heard. Take about 30 seconds each. <laughs> 